You're listening to Pat O'Keefe. Gary Myers, if Woody Johnson mm-hmm. called Bill Belichick and offered him the head coaching job right now, would he come? I, I don't think so. I, I think that Belichick has such a deep contempt for the Jets. Now, if you ask me a question, would Belichick come back to the Giants next year? Absolutely. And I think the mis- biggest misconception is that he needs to have full control. And the way the Giants are right now, that's what would need to have been done. Now, the Giants, I don't believe, offered him a job, but I had written a story in the Daily News that the opening was there for the Giants to approach Belichick. And and they didn't do it. And I kind of caught a lot of heat from people saying, you're crazy, you never would go back there. That's the one job I know he would take. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Ah, a familiar sound there as we return for our number three. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. The stadium series has come to the New York metropolitan area. The New Jersey Devils and Philadelphia Flyers tonight at MetLife Stadium. 8 o'clock primetime on ABC. And then tomorrow it is the Rangers and the Islanders. 3 o'clock puck drop. And you can hear it right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Our pregame coverage tomorrow begins at 2.30. On the call for the game, Kenny Albert and my next guest, the former captain of the Rangers, Dave Maloney, joining me for a little preview. Dave, always great to catch up with you. How are you doing today? Really good, Pat. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Looking forward to this game tomorrow, and I appreciate right. your time right. as uh, as you get ready for it and dive into the matchup. How do you enjoy these games? How much different are they from your vantage point, Dave? Uh, well, obviously, from uh, it, it's not so much for you know guys in the analyst side, like guys like Kenny and Donnie. Uh, you know, it's a pretty distant call, play by play, and and the thing is, the uh, you know the Rangers stadium jersey is is brilliantly constructed from that standpoint where you can actually see the numbers and things like that. The Islanders might be a little bit difficult, but as far as, you know, calling it from an analyst side, I mean, you know, you certainly have that depth of, of vision that uh, you can see even that much more developed. And uh, I, I just think it's a, you know, it's a unique experience. I had the opportunity to play in the old timers game in Philadelphia and it was surreal. And you come out onto the ice and the ice surface is there and then, you know, in the background, there are 55,000 seats, and it kind of outdoors. So it's, it's a bit of a surreal um, existence, both from, from calling it and from being out on the ice. So, uh, but I know, and I'm sure most of the guys have some fun with it, but uh, I think both teams recognize this is a pretty big game uh, in the Metro Conference, and the Rangers want to keep doing what they're doing, and the Islanders are looking to get you know, a foothold in the playoff race. Dave, from your perspective as a player and from talking to players, how much different is the experience of outdoor hockey during the day for them? Well, like I was saying before, I, I think I, I'm not sure you'd want to do it every day, um, but it is something. It's a change in pace. Um, the game goes by quickly, and uh, I, I think it's just that depth perception thing, right? They went the fans aren't right on the ice. There's a little bit of intimacy gets lost, um, but the enormity of the crowd is certainly something that's different. And if indeed there are 60 or 70,000 people, that certainly makes up somewhat for that kind of little more intimate feeling uh, in contact with the fans. So, um, yeah, I, I think obviously if that was the uh, venue when you were playing all the time, you would uh, 
have a different perspective coming indoors. So I think at the end of the day, when the puck drops, um, you're just concerned about doing the right thing to give yourself, uh, your team a chance to win. It's a good time to check in on the Rangers with Dave Maloney, Rangers right. analyst here for MSG Radio Networks and 98.7 ESPN New York. We've got 28 games to go in the regular season. Um, it's been, look, overall a very successful season. They had that torrid start, and then they kind of leveled off for about a month and a month and a half. And today they have a six-game winning streak, the longest active right. winning streak in the NHL right now. They're in first place in the Metropolitan <laughs> Division. Um how how good a spot are the Rangers in right now? How do you feel about this team overall? Oh, I, I think you have to feel good. I mean, the thing is, you, you, your goal is to get to the springtime, right? And you don't you have no chance unless you you get a chance to compete for the cup. And I think along the way, you know, the, the Rangers did set a toward pace, a little different system with a new coaching staff, and um, I just think that. You know, uh, the goaltending, a, a little bit suspect from Igor Shesterkin's standpoint during the slump sort of thing, but he seems to have found his uh, his game. Jonathan Quick has been terrific. So from a goaltending standpoint, I don't think there's an issue at all. I think most people like the blue line. You may want to have a little bit of depth there as every team looks to that position. And then uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens up front. Uh, you know, I, I think with the latest injury to Blake Wheeler, um, I, I, you know, I, I'm convinced that Jimmy DC could probably warrant a look there. Now, is it a long-term solution? Who knows? But in the meantime, uh, you're going to have a uh, Rempe who's been called back up a six foot seven winger. So I, I actually think they're in pretty good shape. I, I really do. Um, you know, you go back a year ago when Boston set the world on fire in the regular season and Marchant gets stopped on a breakaway in the dying seconds of game five when they were up, uh, three, one in the series, they lose the next three and they're done. So, um, you know what? So you've got to get there to have a chance. You got to be in it to win it. And I think the Rangers will be in it and, uh, they'll take it from there. So they're in pretty good shape. Dave, I remember speaking with you about Jimmy VC during last year on one of the Rangers broadcasts uh-huh. and how great of a story he was last year, because he was essentially right. looking for a job and the Rangers offered him a tryout and he made the team and right. he stuck with the team. But, the, the story's gotten even better this year. I mean, he seems right. to be playing as well as he has in his entire career. Well, the thing is, you know, and again, we talked probably about, you know, when he came out of uh, Harvard as an unrestricted free agent, there were 21 teams that expressed an interest. So you fast forward after about six, seven years, and there's one. You've got to kind of adjust your thoughts on, okay, how am I going to approach my career? And you know what? It might be as telling. Uh, I was talking to him um, after the break, and I asked him what he what he did. And he he you know he, he relaxed. He went down south for a little bit, and actually went back to Boston. And he, he said, "When I was younger, during the break, I I just felt that I had to stay on top of it. I had to stay on, you know, skating during the break and making sure I was in." He said, "Now where I'm at uh, my stage of my career, I just took the time to kind of regroup." To me, that just told me he's he's a guy that's really comfortable now as his role in the NHL, and I, I think that's huge. I, I think guys can extend their career, especially guys who can skate uh, and can move the puck, if they're willing to accept that maybe they're not the thirty goal scorer they thought they were going to be when they were younger, right? And I think Jimmy's in a really good spot 
and he'll he can extend he can continue to have a career uh, as that really important role player. He can move up and down in the lineup. Um, he's not as overly concerned if every game doesn't guarantee a goal. I just think it's he's been a really good story uh, when it comes to uh, accepting uh, the role that maybe you didn't think you were going to have in the National Hockey League. He's been a, he's been a really good Ranger this second time around. You know, and, and that's an important spot, obviously, that needs to be filled in the wake of the Blake Wheeler leg injury out for the rest of the regular season. He, he had really kind of found a role on the right side of that top line. It, it seems like, whether it's VC, um, whether it's somebody else who gets that opportunity, skating on the same line as Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider, it seems like you could do a lot worse than that. Well, you know, it's funny, Pat, really, though, when you look at it, they really haven't found a winger that can stay with them. And I think that's important to understand perhaps how difficult it is to play with Mika and, and Kreider. Um, again, over time, like Kako, um, so the thing is, I, I'm thinking uh, the coaching staff, which when the rotation came up in the third period, VC was out on that top line in the third period in the Rangers' last outing. Right. And I just think that, um, you know, they have to find and, and perhaps me and, and Chris have to f- kind of figure out, OK, because you don't want to. I, I think the um, the rotation of uh, uh, Cooley, Brodzinski and Kako, I, I just hope they leave that alone, because that looks like it's got some chemistry. You're not going to do anything with the um, with the Trocheck line. Um, it's that one spot. And like I say, I, I think Jimmy Vesey's more than capable of doing that for sure, short term. And then it becomes, you know, the job of Chris Torino's staff, or whether, you know, that's the right fit for Jimmy or for the club on that right side. So uh, in the meantime, you could find yourself in worse spots, of course, as a winger. But in the meantime, I think it's more telling that they really haven't been able to find a person that can stick to that position. And it'll be interesting to see how that evolves as time moves on here when we get close to the deadline. Speaking with our Rangers analyst, Dave Maloney on the MSG Networks and right here on 98.7 ESPN New York talking about the stadium series coming to MetLife Stadium tomorrow, the Rangers and the Islanders at 3 o'clock. Dave will have the call with Kenny Albert after pregame with Don LaGreca at 2.30 from MetLife Stadium you mentioned Igor Shesterkin, and I mean, look, uh-huh. Jonathan Quick, especially considering um, there were some questions with his play in the preseason. What did he have left? He's been fantastic, but obviously Igor's the headliner, and you mentioned, um, you know, slumped a little during that stretch where the Rangers came back to the pack, but especially the performance the other night, the 29 saves in the shutout on Monday against Calgary. Where do you see Igor's game right now, Dave? Well, you know, if you're only as good as your last game, he's really good, right? And and I think the the thing is um, that has, he set the standard so high early, right? And the thing is too, when you when the benchmark for this franchise becomes a guy like Lundqvist, um, well, Lundqvist was able to do it over the course of basically 13 years. So uh, I think Igor's those are big skates to fill. He's certainly shown. Uh, uh, capability of doing just that. And to me, in a side, uh, not, not even outside of the fact of Jonathan Quick's record, 
you can see how a guy who wins what it takes to win. And you watch this guy at practice to watch the way he plays from his compete level, you, you know, is I think that rubs off and I think it rubs off on the team. And I think it particularly is rubbing off on, uh, Shesterkin where you, and again, Shesterkin is not nearly as unorthodox as quick, but boy, oh boy, he never quits. He never quits on a play. And I think that's been a bit of an issue. Not, I hate to use the word quit. Um, because uh, Shesterkin is really technically sound by getting into position before the play evolves. He's been a little late to those positions, and certainly the game against Calgary. I thought he was good in the three-on-three, the final game of the All-Star weekend. I thought he was great. You know, again, and that's just a wide-open stuff where you got to move. So, you know, so I, I just think there's no question he's the number one guy. Uh, there's no question that he expects to be better. And I think those of us that uh, have been around him long enough know that he will be better. Dave, do you and Kenny do windows open or windows closed in the press <laughs> box with the elements tomorrow? Well, I, I, I would uh, I would do the windows open. It sounds like it's going to be in the mid-40s. Now, I know wind may be a factor uh, uh, out at Met, Met Stadium, um, Met Life Stadium. And we're up quite high. So I would prefer to have it open um, because if not, we might as well be in our living room doing the game. <laughs> so, uh, so for a little ambiance, a little sense of outdoor hockey, I'm uh, hoping that we can keep them all open. Well, one, one broadcaster grew up in Canada and one grew up in New York. So I'd say you're, you're, <laughs> you're definitely prepared for this one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's the, uh, But it really should be fun. It's, it's an extravaganza and it's an event. Uh, the league really puts on a good show. Um, I think it, it, it'll be interesting to watch the Flyers and, and Devils play tonight uh, at nighttime. It's, uh, and it still draws people. At the end of the day, uh, they'll probably keep doing it as long as they're going to be sixty to 70,000 people willing to show up. No question about that. Before I let you go, Dave, let me uh, get a quick thought from you on the Islanders under Patrick Waugh since right. he took over. You know, I watched them against Seattle, and the thing to me with the Islanders the, the, they've got a perfect playoff game, right? They've got good goaltending. They've got veterans on the blue line. They've been together a long time. Um, I, I'm just I'm stunned how difficult it is for them through the regular season. Now, again, Barzell certainly has hit a, hit a, uh, a new level, and Horvat was a guy that's supposed to come in and, uh, to do different things. So they've kind of resorted back to the norm uh, one of the first five or seven games of uh, Waugh's existence behind the bench. And I guess the, the one thing about them, are they quick enough uh, for today's game, particularly in the regular season? Uh, you can't, you've got to be able like that. The teams that are on the cusp and even out, they provide, the youthful teams provide a pace to the game that threatens every game. And the longer it goes, there's a bit of an innocence to their game. And I just wonder if the Islanders are quick enough either you know, you admire the discipline. You know, Sorokin and, and, and uh, their goaltending is good. But, boy, oh, boy, they seem to struggle to try and get in it to win it. And uh, But sure enough, watch tomorrow night. They'll come guns a-blazing, so it should be fun. <laughs> the rivalry will uh, create a higher blood level, a blood heat level. But um, but that's why I looked on the Islanders. It's it, it a team that I think everybody would love to see in the playoffs, and it would probably be pretty good. I just, I just wonder about the team speed. 
Well, Dave, enjoy it tomorrow. Like you said, it should be a great scene. I'll see you Tuesday, actually, at the Garden. I'll be on the broadcast with you Good. and Don for the Rangers great. and the Stars. But enjoy tomorrow, and thanks for the time. All right, Pat. It'll be good. Uh, thanks for calling. I look forward to seeing you uh, against the Stars. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. So spring training in full bloom. Haven't done a ton on the Mets so far. Did a lot on the Yankees in the first hour. You know, my overriding theme with the Yankees before we jump to the Mets is this. I think the expectations for the Yankees should be reasonably high this year. I, I think if they go 82 and 80 or anywhere in that neighborhood that they were in last year, then something is inherently wrong with this franchise because last year was it was really about as bad as it could get outside of Garrett Cole. You know, John Carlos Stanton was a non-factor. The pitching staff fell apart. Nobody in the lineup could uh, contribute except for Anthony Rizzo early, and then he got hurt. And then Aaron Judge when he was in the lineup, but he ended up missing almost half the season. Everything went wrong for the Yankees last year. They finished 82-80. and 80. They really did. And look, as much as they could do, could you always do more? Yeah, but the Yankees did, within reason, as much as they could possibly do to try to fix what is still a flawed roster. And the Juan Soto addition, I think, is going to be the biggest addition in Major League Baseball. Um, the Alex Verdugo addition is going to be an important one for this team. I think Trent Grisham's going to have a place on this team. And then the the X factor for me are the three guys in the middle of the rotation, Nestor Cortez and Carlos Rodon and Marcus Stroman. Assuming Garrett Cole is Garrett Cole, can you get what you're paying for from two of those three guys in the middle of the rotation? If you get that from all three of them, that's fantastic. If you don't get it from any of them, well, then you could be looking at a similar type frustrating season as last year. But one thing historically that can really help pitching staffs is a robust offense. And the Yankees have not had that despite big names and high-paid players in their lineup for the last several years. The Yankees have not had a robust offense in what seems like a very long time. Now with Soto, now with more balance between left-handed hitters and right-handed hitters, now with hopefully a healthy judge, hopefully a healthy um, Anthony Rizzo, now hopefully you can get more of a robust offense. So that's my thoughts on the Yankees as far as the Mets go. And, uh, Joe, we looked at the Mets number before the over-under. What was it, 82 and a half? 82 and a half. I would, I would throw some on that over. I think the Mets are better than an 83-win team. Um, you're essentially talking about 82 and a half. That's what the Yankees were last year. Um, the, the Look, the Mets were also a team that um, they had so much go wrong for them last season. And, and they were hurt even more so by the expectations, which doesn't always happen for the Mets. And it's not going to happen for them this year because there are not a ton of expectations. Um, the Mets lineup, I think, is very good when healthy. I think it has the potential to be uh, a pretty deep lineup and a pretty solid lineup if you see uh, continued development in a couple of areas, notably catcher, where you saw Francisco Alvarez had some really, really good moments last year. And then I think he ran out of gas a little bit. And then the one constant in the Mets lineup for the last several years was and has been the first baseman, Pete Alonso, one of the 
best sluggers in Major League Baseball. Who will he be a Met beyond this season? We don't know, as his contract situation has been the biggest topic of spring training so far and, and will continue to be the biggest topic, I think, of conversation around the Mets until there's a resolution one way or another. But first, here's Alonzo earlier today on building from last season. I mean, there's a lot There's a lot to, to be proud of that happened last year and then build upon. I know the record didn't necessarily say, but we had a ton of really excellent individual performances. And I feel like if we can string it, all of those individual performances together and as a collective group, it's, it's going to be it's going to be really productive for us in the win column during the season. I mean, in the win column, I think if there's health and improvement in the lineup, and I'm talking about um, general course of improvement that is reasonable to expect from young Major League Baseball players at the starts of their careers, I think if you get that, you could be looking at an 8-10 to 10 win improvement, and that puts the Mets in the 84-85 win range after the way that they finished last season. Look, the Mets, as disappointing as they were, and you look at the overall record of 75-87, and 87, as disappointing as they were, the Mets were closer to an 80-81-82 win team until they sold everybody off at the trade deadline. If they just stayed the course, which would have been a stupid business move to do because they were able to refortify their farm system in moves that I really liked. Um, but if they were to stay the course and kept running Verlander out there and hoped to get something from Max Scherzer and kept your closer and David Robertson, if you were to do that, Tommy Pham, they probably would have been in the range of an 82-83 win team. So looking at what the Mets were last year in their totality and just saying, well, they were a 75-win team, that's what they were, that's not exactly accurate. You have to kind of analyze what the Mets were before they realized it was in their best interests as a franchise to sell off their high-end talent and restock their farm system. But as for Alonzo and his contract situation, he was asked, does he want to be a lifelong Met? I mean, for me, I think that number one goal is just being healthy through the uh, through the course of the year. I, I love it here. I definitely have envisioned myself of, of being a lifelong Met. That's a that's something I've definitely thought about. And I love I love New York. It's a really special place uh, for my family and I. And I've definitely thought of the idea. I've definitely welcomed the idea. But I can't predict the future. For me, I just want to be, focus on on this season. I just want to be the best person I can be. And I've sat back and, and listened and just want to be the, the best player I can be. That's it. Well, all right. So he didn't exactly say, I want to be a lifelong Met. I, I guess that's not the tact you want to take in the middle of negotiations for something this important. But here's the thing about Alonzo. And when you are or when you're running an organization, and I understand there are flaws in his game, none bigger than his 217 batting average from last year. And I know it's not all about the batting average, but if you look at what that number was in 2022, it was 271. In 2021, it was 262. When he was a rookie and he had 53 home runs, it was 260. If he can just hit 260 as opposed to 217 and keep his power numbers where they have been his entire career, I mean, the guy... He doesn't miss games, even last year. Remember last year he was supposed to miss like three weeks, and all of a sudden you hadn't heard anything from his rehab assignment because it was almost like too early to check in on him, 
And I remember because I was actually at the game. It was on Father's Day. And I looked up, and there's Alonzo in the starting lineup for the Mets. And he never missed time the rest of the season. I mean, the guy plays his rookie year, 161 games. In 2020, he played 57 games. The team only played 60. 2021, 152. 160. 154. And the power numbers, too. 53 and 120 as a rookie. His next full season, 37 and 94. That was his quote unquote worst power season. 37 home runs and 94 RBIs. Then he goes 40 and 131. Last year, 46 and 118. Again, last year, the 217 batting average, the 318 on base percentage. If you can get that on base percentage closer to 350, then you have one of the best sluggers in the game. I mean, you, you do anyway without that. Um, the whole point of building from within in Major League Baseball or any sport, that's all fans want, right? All fans want is for your team to draft Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson and find Draymond Green early in the second round and mold them together and win four championships in eight years. That's all any fan base wants. And that's what the Knicks fan base wanted too. That's why it was tough to let go of R.J. Barrett. That's why it was tough to let go of Emmanuel quickly. Because after years and years of missing on draft picks, a lot of them high draft picks, that's why the Porzingis trade in the moment was tough. Because these were draft picks that the Knicks actually hit on, but the franchise in this case with the trade for OG Ananobi found it to be in the best interest of the Knicks to use quickly and Barrett cash them in for a player who fits the team better but all any fan base wants is for a team to draft a guy develop that guy and keep him in the franchise for the bulk of the prime of his career and the Mets have that right now with Pete Alonso. I mean, look at the Mets season last year. It was mercenary after mercenary. At shortstop, you had Lindor. At the top of the pitching rotation, you had Verlander and Scherzer. No matter, you know, you had Starling Marte in the outfield. This is the guy. This is your guy who you had him, you found him, you cultivated him, you developed him. And what did he do when he finally joined the team? He has produced year after year after year, and he has played year after year after year in a sport and in a sports landscape where professional athletes are missing games all the time. So this is the kind of guy that you want to continue to build your franchise around. At the right price. <laughs> and that's the tricky part right here. Because the downside of Pete Alonso is his age. And he came up. The cultivation took a little bit longer than you would have wanted. Because he is um, 29 years old. And he'll be 29 years old this season. So what is he going to want? A 10-year contract? That's out of the question. Is a 6-year contract out of the question? It's honestly... With his profile, it's it's not ideal. Um, but the the fact that you finally found, found one of these guys and you can easily, and I'm not saying it's easy for them if they do walk away, but 
you could easily move on from somebody like this, that is that's tough to sell to your fan base when you finally found a guy like that in Pete Alonso. So look, the hope at least for me is that there can be a way to have him continue with this franchise beyond this season at a reasonable amount of money that it does not cripple the other interests of the Mets franchise. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Pat O'Keefe with you. In for Anita Marks today. Anita will be back next week, and she'll be live from the park at UBS Arena next Saturday, February 24th, starting at noon before the Islanders' matinee matchup against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And we're giving away four pairs of lower bowl tickets plus one pair of premium club seats at ESPNNewYork.com or on the ESPN New York app. Just scroll down to contests and submit your entry. Join the New York Islanders for every thrilling matchup in March. Take advantage of special ticket pricing for upcoming home games at UBS Arena and be there for all the exciting action on the ice. Get your tickets today at NewYorkIslanders.com slash merch. March, excuse me. Um, You got the All-Star Saturday night tonight, which you can hear right here on ESPN New York starting at 8 o'clock. Jalen Brunson in the three-point shootout. Uh, He'll be in the All-Star game tomorrow. Knicks limping into the break, but overall pending the health of their key players, still in good shape at 33-22. and 22. They're in fourth place in the Eastern Conference. They have fallen five games behind Cleveland in the loss column. The Cavaliers are in second. The Bucks are in third. And then right behind the Knicks are the 76ers in fifth place, and they're a half game behind New York. And the Knicks come back out of the All-Star break Next Thursday, or I guess this coming Thursday now, in Philadelphia against the Sixers, who will still be without Joel Embiid. The key for the Knicks, besides health, which is the obvious, is you want to stay out of the four or five slots, which they're in right now. You want to get up into the two or the three, uh, where Cleveland and Milwaukee are right now, because that way you can... Avoid Boston, which is the best team in the Eastern Conference, as long as you possibly can. Generally, when you're on a collision course to face a team that is more talented than yours, which is the case with the Knicks and Boston, the longer you you want to wait as long as possible before you have to face that team because things can happen. They could suffer an injury. Chris Stapps, Porzingis, anyone? They could get bumped off by a team that's a bad matchup for them in an earlier round. The other caveat I would add to the Knicks getting into that 2-3 spot, if Cleveland is the number two seed and the Knicks are the three, I don't think that matters who has home court advantage. But if the Knicks and the Bucks are the two teams in the 2-3 spots, Milwaukee is very, very difficult to beat on its home floor they are 23-7 and seven at home this season. And actually, one of the seven losses was on a neutral court in Las Vegas in the in-season tournament. So the Bucs are actually 23-6 and six at home this season. So just a couple of things to keep in mind for the Knicks in terms of playoff positioning after the season resumes on Thursday. 33-22, 55 games in the books. That means you only have 27 games left to play. Um, Tom Thibodeau, in the last game before the break, when the Knicks lost to the Magic, says that the plan is to have Isaiah Hartenstein 
and Dante DiVincenzo and Boyan Bogdanovich back and ready to go against Philadelphia on Thursday. And then the next two pieces of the puzzle are getting OG Ananobi and Julius Randle back. And then there remains optimism that you could get Mitchell Robinson back before the end of the regular season. The Knicks essentially these last two weeks have been playing without their entire starting front line. If the Knicks are 100% healthy, their front line is Ananobi, Randall, and Mitchell Robinson. And if not Robinson, then Isaiah Hartenstein, and he's missed a big chunk of time as well. And Jericho Sims has also missed time in there. So the Knicks, they held on for a while because of the brilliance of Jalen Brunson, and they had some favorable matchups and a lot of home games on the schedule. But right before the break, the myriad injuries that they are and have dealt with started to catch up with them. So this all-star break uh, came at the perfect time. Jalen Brunson could probably use a break as well, but I don't think he's complaining about being in Indianapolis. He said before the season and throughout the first half that it was a goal of his to be an all-star for the first time in his career. He probably should have been voted in a starter for the Eastern Conference team. He wasn't. He was a no-brainer pick to come off the bench. He's in Indy, and he joined the TNT crew in their coverage of All-Star Weekend, speaking about his journey to the NBA and to the NBA's All-Star break and having to work even harder than his NBA father. I would say when I was younger, watching my dad you know, work consistently, it was really cool. I got to see him play. You know, I got to see him work out on his game. got to see him lift. I got, went to go ride my bike around the track while he ran. And so I got to see all that at such a, uh, such a young age, but not really understanding why he's working so hard. Right. And so as I got older and wanted to play in the NBA, um, man, like this dude used to work this hard. And he was on eight, nine unguaranteed contracts you know, in the NBA for nine years. And um, as I got older, I knew I had to work twice as hard just to get there. So just seeing that, that's, that was my biggest takeaway. Oh, you're a much work. better player than Rick. Come on, Rick. You know, he, he, he gave yeah, it to yeah, you. Yeah. Hey, Rick, you were supposed to be a defender and a playmaker. He would, yes, I would give it to you. <laughs> Rick Brunson now, of course, an assistant coach for Tom Thibodeau with the Knicks. If you're ever at the Garden before a game when the teams are warming up, when they open up the doors, one of the coolest things is every game seeing Rick Brunson work out Jalen on the court, going through the different spots on the floor where he likes to shoot his shot from, giving him, um, you know, little tidbits of advice on his footwork. You know, everybody talks about it, and I'm not comparing this to Stephen Curry. You know, Steph Curry has the most famous workout warm-up routine in the NBA. You know, fans flock to arenas early to watch that. Brunson's is completely different because it's all pull-up jumpers and it's not spectacular showman-type stuff. It's a lot of footwork, but it's a really good insight uh, into how he has become an all-star level player. And it's also totally cool that he gets to do that before every game working out with his dad. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right, fun afternoon so far. I want to thank our guests, Gary Myers, Dave Maloney. Thanks to Joe Leo and Harvey Cruz doing, in some cases, an adequate job producing the show. Uh, Ty Butler coming up next. Haven't had a chance to chat with Ty since we 
We sat in on the big show, Ty, just before the new year. How you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm actually really shocked that you allowed me to come on the air with you because, you know, speaking of the last time we were on the air together, uh, it coincided with me being so right about my R.J. Barrett take. I actually think Leon Rose might have been listening to the show. <laughs> he not only benched him, he traded him to a different country, and we haven't spoken since then. And, and I'm, I'm just shocked that you would allow me to, in the face of all that embarrassment that you lost so badly, uh, come on your show. But what's well, up, Pat? How you doing, man? It's, it's great to hear your voice. I, I miss this banter, this witty banter as it is. And if my recollection is correct, and it usually is, I believe your solution during our spirited debate was to replace R.J. Barrett in the starting lineup with... Emmanuel quickly. Yeah, he also. So got I don't down. know how you can claim full victory since quickly, like RJ, was also shipped to a different country, but not the one in which he grew up. And, and by the way, uh, if you if you take the temperature of Nick fans immediately after that trade, who were they more sad to lose? That would be Emmanuel quickly. Well, the the part of that was the role that he nah. filled on the team. And Barrett's was, was, role was immediately filled by the best player in the trade, OG Ananobi. What quickly, what you lost with trading quickly, has been more difficult to replace. In fact, we haven't seen it yet. Not yet. You will if everybody gets healthy, because that could be the Bogdanovich and Alec Burks piece of it. The reason we haven't seen it yet is because they're not fully healthy. Let me ask you a couple of things real quick. Let's do it. You are our, well, first of all, All-Star Saturday night. You're into this, aren't you? I used to be into it way more uh, than of years past, but sure, I, like I still watch it every single year. What are you most looking forward to tonight? It's always uh, the three-point shootout, um, and, and this year with Brunson being involved, like I'm rooting for him, Dame's going for the, for the, the two-peat. Yep. But honestly, man, this Steph uh, Sabrina uh, three point shootout at the end of it's got me got me pumped. I'm, I'm I think that I might be most looking forward to that. Honestly, I, I think it's awesome. There's there's two things that I'm really impressed with tonight. That's one of them. Look in this um, age of social media and people so concerned with their images, the fact that yeah. a guy the stature of Steph Curry is saying, yeah, if I lose, I lose. It's no big deal because, you know, he's got, what does he have to gain by Nothing. this, right? He's Nothing supposed to win. Uh, the fact that he's doing this, I, I just think, I'm, first of all, I'm not surprised knowing the guy that he is, but it's just incredibly impressive. And I do have to give some props to Jalen Brown. Yes. Because for years we have been clamoring for a star player to compete in the slam dunk contest. And finally, Jalen Brown's like, hey, I don't care if I don't win this. I'm going to compete. I'm going to put on a show for the fans, and I think that's really cool on his part, too. Yeah, just to go back to Steph real quick, I mean, you nailed that. There's really nothing for him to win. If he wins, as you were supposed to. If he loses, it's, oh, wow, how embarrassing. I got to give some love to Sabrina, too, because they had offered her the opportunity to shoot, like, the women's 3.9, and she's like, nah, I, I want all the smoke. I, I, I want to shoot from uh, the distance that Steph is going to shoot it from. So I'm geared up for it. Uh, I'm excited for that. And, yeah, man, Jalen Brown uh, is trying to bring that star power back to the slam dunk contest that has been lacked for so many years. I actually came across this video. I think it might have been 2010. Uh, LeBron's talking to one of the TNT sideline reporters, and he's like, yeah, this year, this time next year, I'm going to be signed yeah. up for the dunk contest. I remember that. <laughs> and it never came to We're fruition. We're still waiting. <laughs> still waiting for that, LeBron. 
I love you, bro, but come on, man. I know you love him, and, and you're a resident Lakers fan, so I need to ask, what was your reaction to the story this week that the Warriors inquired about trading for LeBron James at the deadline? It was exciting because we found something dumber than, oh, should the Lakers trade LeBron to the Knicks? Because I thought that was silly. And now you got the Warriors with Draymond Green at the forefront of this, you know, begging Rich Paul to persuade LeBron to, you know, decide that he wants to go to the Warriors. I thought it was silly. If you're Genie Buss and you're trading, to me, the greatest player in NBA history for what, picks and, you know, young players the Warriors don't even want to play, it's silly because that's a rival. You're helping them win a championship. So I just thought it was comical. I don't think it was ever going to happen. And for all the people who are, you know, on this boat of LeBron, he might leave. I don't think he's leaving. I don't think he's going anywhere. And that maybe that's just the Laker fan in me. But I think that, you know, going forward with the, the, the draft capital that they have, you know, the Donovan Mitchell rumors aren't going to go away. Best chance they have at contending for a championship. And if you're LeBron James is uh, staying with the Lakers, AD just got re-signed, and maybe you get Mitchell this uh, this coming offseason. Real quick, who's a better GM? GM LeBron or GM Draymond? Uh, well, Draymond got KD to, he did. To, to Golden State. LeBron, I mean, people have fun with this. Oh, he's a terrible GM. He got Kevin Love to go to Cleveland. He got uh, Bosh to, to go with him to Miami. And then he helped trade for Anthony Davis. He sure did. And everywhere, I think Clutch had something to do with that, but yeah, you know, he is Clutch. And then what did it result in? Oh, championships in all three, in all three places. So I mean, GM LeBron maybe a little underrated. You're on till six o'clock. You're coming up at the top of the hour. Always good uh, catching up with you, my man. Yeah, we got to get on the air again, man. Tell John as fli- as uh, Don Lagreca says to flip. Wake up, wake up, John Winthrop. <laughs> I hear that. All right, have a great show, Ty. Ty Butler coming up next here on ESPN New York. You got the uh, the. Stadium series tomorrow. I'll be out there as a fan, enjoying it. Maybe in the elements should be a lot of fun. It was cool talk with Dave Maloney about that. Rangers, Islanders, MetLife Stadium should be a great scene. I'll also be back here tomorrow morning, 9 to noon, right here on ESPN New York. Wake up, Flip. If-